Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I am speaking with Benjamin Boyce. Benjamin is a content creator. He, I got to know him because he chronicled the debacle at Evergreen um, almost from the beginning and then he's got a really good series. You're what, like 22, 23 videos now on your Evergreen series? I'm on uh, my, my capstone completionist documentary version of my reportage is clocking in at 20 episodes now. I have four more planned, but okay. I've been uh, distracted by current events. <laughs> yeah. Haven't we all? Anyways, I want to have Benjamin on because I think he lived through the uh, dress rehearsal at Evergreen, and now we're seeing the premiere pretty much everywhere across the world, so... I want to have him on to like kind of compare what happened to Evergreen, what's going on now. So, hey, Benjamin, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. No, no problem. So, yeah, like I, like I mentioned, you saw this at Evergreen. So, you were a student at Evergreen, and like based on like I, like you know your little documentary that you're doing, and I shouldn't say little because it's quite you know um, you're quite thorough with it. It's, so that started a few years before, right? It was like with bridges coming in, more diversity stuff coming in, and then that culminated in the videos that got released to the world where. Brett Weinstein was surrounded by students. Yeah, well, there's different ways of charting the development of what happened. So what, what happened as far as the common observer knows or how it splashed against the collective consciousness was that there was some footage that surfaced that the students themselves, the student protesters themselves, streamed onto the internet. And this footage was filled with uh, egregious acts of, uh, I guess, outburst and outrage uh, over this thing called racism. And racism was accused, the, the institution of the Evergreen State College, which is located in uh, Olympia, Washington, was accused of being filled with white supremacists and operating under white supremacy. And the students needed to uh, get their message across because nobody was listening to them. That's what the students said. The like the lightning rod for the story, how people made sense of all the footage, was that there was one professor, Brett Weinstein, who was surrounded in class and uh, kind of yelled at and then kind of ran off campus or hunted on campus. And that 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 narrative, while being true as far as it goes, is just one piece of a much larger um, movement going on. And that movement, you could say, started a long time ago, um, who knows when, within the academy with certain ideas, certain, I guess, repackaged Marxism, you could argue. I don't necessarily argue that because I get lost in the weeds with that tact. But this sort of progressive mindset was fostered within the professoriate and there was certain uh, critical theory angled uh, humanities professors that were kind of knocking on the gates of saying that this institution is complicit in white supremacy and that everybody here is racist and that people of color so-called are constantly embattled here and when the current president george bridges came on the scene in 2015 he empowered those people by saying that the civil rights had made very large strides towards writing america's history of racism and disparity but the the work is not over and we need to concentrate on that now we need to put all of our effort behind solving issues of race and and disparity and then from that moment, lecture series, seminars, workshops, uh, panels began to be implemented across the, you know, across the academic calendar, across the campus that forwarded a specific version or specific lens on what racism is, what privilege is, and all the terms that we are now rapidly becoming familiar with with regards to white privilege and uh, white fragility and all that stuff. And Robin D'Angelo, who's the creator and purveyor of white fragility doctrine, was actually you know, invited to campus, given probably a reasonable speaking fee. And uh, her ideas you can see pop up over and over and over again on the level of the professoriate and the level of the students and the level of the administration. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the history of it... Like, I know James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, are, you know, they're coming out with their book, which I recommend everyone read if you really want to know what's behind this stuff, because it's quite convoluted. But yeah, you could say, like, this stuff came out in the 60s, you know, and it morphed or whatever, but this current iteration of it, 
way, my take on that is, okay, Bell wrote his first paper in 76. Um, you had black feminism in the 70s. You had like stuff, you know, people like Audre Lorde, her paper, uh, you know, the master's tools will never just, uh, will not dismantle master's home. Um, that was like 78. You had this stuff progressing. Late 80s, intersectionality started rearing its ugly head. And then, you know, and I mean, I don't even want to count a queer theory and all that because there's just too much of it. But like, if you just take race and intersectionality, around the late 80s, early 90s, the two, like Crenshaw morphed the two together, right? So she she merged intersectionality with critical race theory or vice versa. And it was basically, when you talk race, you were talking it through an intersectional lens. And like I said, this is just my take on reading stuff. By the time all those people who were actually then taking critical race theory and intersection intersectional feminism, not specifically like African studies or things like that or feminist studies, but once they got the intersectional lens, they got came up with masters the late nineties, PhDs the late nineties, and then they started in like I don't want to say infiltrating, but they started they got jobs like we need someone to help us with race. Oh, you got a PhD in you know race race studies. That's that's the logical step. You go to that person, right? So they got the pedigree through the academy. Then they're coming back into the academy as administrators and professors and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's you know physics would have laughed at an English professor coming in saying this is how, not how you do physics, right? An administrator coming in from the diversity office or whatever, telling the physics department you are not following diversity rules. They're not encroaching on physics; they're encroaching on. They're they're talking about school policy, right? So, like yeah. that's how I see a paper like mm-hmm. you know, light supremacy in physics is white supremacy that came out earlier this year, I think. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's it's so it's it's encroaching and everything, and it built up. Like I mean, I just watch it. I think it built up till about 2010, and then that's. I mean, the videos you've done, and also the ones Mike Nana did, you can see the students say, "Like you taught us to do this. We're doing what you yeah. taught us." So they taught them critical race theory. They taught them how they were oppressed. They taught them who oppressed them. And they taught them the way they, they think they should be activists. Like when you were putting that stuff out and when Brett Weinstein was speaking, you know, okay, I, I'm a little, little tiny voice. And, you know, I'd hear from my friends like, oh, you're just making too much of it. It's just college kids. Yeah. You know? And it's like, well, the college kids got out. Now look at them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You see that within uh, the media specifically mm-hmm. and a lot of different uh, media platforms, uh, you know, uh, social media platforms too, like Medium or what happened in the quilting community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and after I reported on it, after I've been working on Evergreen, I, I'd be contacted periodically, and right now I'm being contacted a lot, about tiny institutions being taken over the, uh, by this, either institutions or collectives. It it in once infects a group of people, it erodes trust and it forces people into kind of a double bind. Either you agree and you which means that you just give up all of your, you know, your own ideas, and then you follow. And if you don't do those things, we'll either ridicule you or we'll stamp you out, right? Or or a mixture of the both. Yeah. Uh, so what we see in practice, how this stuff is practiced, you can go down and like Lindsay and Pluckrose do and chart the development. But my and probably Mike's uh, angle on this stuff is to show the psychology and the outbursts of it and how these ideas translate into this behavior or facilitate this behavior to occur. Yeah. I mean, like, that's my approach as well, because, okay, no one's got the time to do what James and Helen have done, right? Like, that's, you know, they spent the time and like, if you have a couple of years to do it, go ahead. Good for you. But mm. I took the time. I read, I read a lot of th- critical race theory and intersectionality, and some queer theory. Mm. So maybe more than that's healthy for you. But for me, it was just you know, like my friends who are you know, I'm fifty, my age. You're like, oh, what's wrong with anti-racism? It's like, okay, on the surface of it, it sounds fine, but this is yeah. what it means. So that's I'm I'm trying to do the same thing as I think you and Mike are doing, which is just expose it for what it is. Like, I'm just telling my friends, read it. Like, you know, go read White Fragility and tell me if you think it's logical, right? Like, I don't want to, like, some people I see it making worse than it is. And, I mean, it's pretty bad on its own, but it's just like, when someone says you have to end whiteness, 
It's like, oh, they want to kill all white people. It's like, no, that's not what they're saying. Like, this is what they're saying, which is bad enough on its own. Mm. Don't like take the time to actually study or just a little bit of time to look at what they're, what they mean by a term like whiteness. Yeah. And, and go after, like make an argument against what they're arguing, not against, oh, they want to kill all white people. There is a uh, counter to that. There's another way to actually show that when they say abolish whiteness, they do mean to kill actual white people. And that's seen in previous incarnations of this set of ideas within the Chinese Cultural Revolution, where on the surface of it, they wanted to end capitalism. Mm -hmm. But in practice, when the low-resolution activists get a hold of this, they are no longer seeing whiteness they're no longer seeing capitalism they see the capitalist and they see the white person they ridicule and they attack the person based on this so it it doesn't once it's removed from that high-minded way of thinking and mobilized then it does actually lead to acts of violence against specific people based on their race okay no i, I agree with you there 100 and but i'm just saying that you can actually talk about what they're what they so when Crenshaw would talk about whiteness or or Robin D'Angelo, I don't know. Maybe they do mean you know go go kill Whitey. I'm not saying they do, but I don't think they're taking it in that context. But someone else hearing it, who you know took a diversity course and then goes to hear them one of them speak, is might who doesn't even look into it, right? You know, like I equate it to a convert to Islam who doesn't even really look into Islam, but they're the most devout person apparently. And they'll mm. defend Islam to the death, but they don't really know what they're doing. So it's someone who's heard this a little bit. It sounds nice. So they might take it to mean, like you said, like, you know, go kill Whitey, um, which is horrible. But I'm still saying, like, argue against what it is. So if you can argue against what it is from the source, you can stop the idea there. In, and I shouldn't say stop, but you can counter the idea there. Instead of letting it take root and getting to a point where someone wants to kill a white person. Right. Um, like I said, so I equate it kind of like looking at like time from like Islam. Um, I'll give you another example is a friend of mine, Faisal Al-Muttar. He runs an organization called Ideas Beyond Borders. Now, what they do mm-hmm. is they translate science and philosophy books and they make them available for free in the Middle East. So they've done it in Farsi, Persian, Kurdish, and, uh, sorry, Farsi, Kurdish and Arabic. Um, and it's mm-hmm. available for free and they like they're, right now, they're doing a whole bunch of stuff on COVID and handing out all the all information on COVID. Um, you know, they just before COVID hit, they were or no, last year uh, when the plane got hit, uh, uh, struck down in uh, Iran, just around those time when there was protests, they were going out handing out copies of Pinker's book uh, Enlightenment Now. So they're stopping extremism before it starts. So I'm like, if you want to, I'm just thinking the best way to counter it is not letting get to the point where someone is, I want to kill white people. But stopping it at the source and countering it at the source, saying this is what they're talking about, because by the well, time it's one or two axiomatic principles that we can argue against. Like, what what is this source then? What is the the suppositions or the presuppositions? Well, but uh, okay, that's why I said go read critical race theory. Like I'm, I'm like what I'm, you know, if someone says anti-racism and they're using a very loose definition, you can go back to white fragility. You can go back to the uh, Kendi's book anti you know how to be anti racist. And you can show them what they mean by anti-racism. So if someone's like, well, you know, don't you want to be anti-racist? What's wrong with you? Don't, you know, why do you want to be racist? Right? It's like, well, no, that's not what they mean. Right? So I'm saying get enough knowledge on the, some of the terms that are going around, like white privilege, white fragility, anti-racism, what they mean by blackness, like, you know, what they mean by like an authentic identity. Like you have Nicole Hannah-Jones saying you can be racially black or politically black, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, there's a problem there, right? So mm-hmm. that, that like, so my my whole thing is just expose it for what it is. Stop people who are, you know, Jonathan Rauch's humanitarian threat to liberal science, right? This is what it is. People who are taken up with this now, they don't want to be seen as racist. They don't want to be racist. You know, they want to be a quote unquote on the right side of history. So they'll just sign up to this, not knowing what it means. Right. And it's going back to the, the Chinese. It's, well, why don't you just write a, you know, just, just, just say that America is not perfect. And then, then, you know, like just take it one step further. Right. Like 
like in your videos about Evergreen, you know, put your hands down, George, when they're telling the the the, the president mm-hmm. of the school to put his hands down, right? Like, and he puts that down. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's asking permission to go to the washroom. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. like so it's that kind of thing. Like, so you agree to anti-racism. Well, now take it one step further. Take it one step further. So I'm saying, the people who aren't ascribed to this stuff right now, because there's not a lot of them, before they start drinking that Kool Aid, just show them that the Kool Aid's poison until they get mm-hmm. before they get to that point. That's that's my mm-hmm. thinking on it. And you know, that's why I don't that's why I say don't argue against that kill whitey thing. Argue against when someone's doing it, yes, fine. But when you have like that professor at uh Cambridge who just did that recently. Abolish whiteness or Yeah, yeah. And like so Helen Puckrose was trying to explain what it what she meant and she was getting attacked from both sides. It's like, no, just attack the argument. Don't attack like the extreme of it because the extreme is is going to happen and it we're already seeing part you know little bits of it don't go to the extreme yeah yeah right sorry uh i ran too much i tend to agree with uh disagreeing with the extremes yeah. but i mean again like so compared to what you saw at evergreen if you want to take an analogy to what's going on is it is it students from university like okay P- portland like Portland, Washington. So Seattle has, you know, Chaz or whatever. I don't know if that's still up. Portland, they, you know, they surrounded the, uh, uh, like, uh, they surrounded the mayor's house and they wanted to set something up there. Like, like that's mm. coming from the schools, right? That's not. And so these are mm. students who are learning this in school and they're now going out and putting it in practice. Or the New York Times, they learned that in school and now they're burning down the New York Times. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, kind of pedigree. But again, I would say that there's probably a mix of people who understand the theory and a mix of people who are just enabled to do what they want by these set of ideas. And then a certain uh, contingent of, let's just call them the media, that excuses certain behavior because they do ascribe to the ideals that are being you know, forwarded. Even if they disagree with the means, they're still okay with statutes being taken down. And within the Evergreen State College protests, you see a very small group of very vocal radicals basically dictating how the school should operate and the administration coddling to them or bowing down to them, more or less. Whether it's just, the, it starts with the hands, but nowadays it's the knee. You have to yeah. take the knee. And then, I mean, even that's not enough, right? There was, um, it was just right this morning. It was in Medium. It was a little deli in Chicago, immigrant run, but Mm. they didn't express enough support for Black Lives Matter. So now the restaurant's being shut down. The family's being run out of town. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, like that idea, I mean, I'm sure you saw it at Evergreen. You can see it in the videos as well. Like, they don't care about the individual, right? They care about the system. So if they think the individual is participating in the system, it doesn't matter how much charity they do. It doesn't matter whatever they're racist because they're enabling whiteness, right? Like, hmm. like, did you see a lot of that at Evergreen or do you see, can you compare that to some of the stuff that's going on? Well, it's interesting because the way that I have constructed the Evergreen state college story is that yes, you do have mob behavior, but that mob is, you know, built out of individuals and what is each given individual getting out of that. And I think that there's a lot of low level individual uh, delight in acting this way, right? So it does feed upon resentment and on outrage, on anger and on a sense of wanting power. And it's a very short sighted form of power, which is the major um, criticism that I have against the Bridges uh, administration and the professors is that they not only enabled this short form of power to express itself and then protected them, the the people who acted that way from criticism, but they went on to put those people into positions of power where you have the head protesters, the ones who are on film telling other people to round up Whitey or, you know, Mm -hmm. go around and take hostages so we can enforce our will. Those people are the ones who are given the ability to rewrite the student code of conduct and then to do the race seminars on teaching people proper race relations. So... Yeah, but I I think maybe I misphrased the question like the, you know, I I don't, if you want to name names, go ahead. I I forget a lot of them anyways, but the, the individuals who are acting badly and yes, they're, they're after power or whatever, but I'm talking about, so in the protest now, 
Okay, I'm going to say in the riots because there's there's the protests and there's the riots. I think they're two different things. So during some of the rioting, synagogues got destroyed and, or vandalized. And property is whiteness. Whiteness is violence. Property is violence, right? They and don't whites ca- are violent. Ergo, yeah, yeah. we need to yeah. put them down. I mean, yeah. they, like yeah. I know you're arguing against that yeah. conclusion, but that's the natural. Oh no, no, that's a natural progression. Yeah, no. Thing. But what I'm saying is, they think of the system, right? It doesn't matter that it was, you know, a synagogue and anti-Semitism is one of the worst hate crimes. I think it's the worst in Canada. I don't know about the United States. Like, when, like if you look at police reports, right? Um, so if you look at that. They're excusing that. They're excusing the protesters' anti-Semitism because Jews have taken on whiteness. You know, it doesn't matter about the individual Jews in there. The individual people who go to that synagogue to worship doesn't matter about the individual rabbis. They are part of the system. Like, as far as I can tell, they wouldn't care if there hadn't been a race. Like, if you could prove to them by whatever standard that they wanted that there was not one single race incident for the last 50 years and not one person was racist for the last 50 years by however standard they set if you can prove to them they'll still say the system is racist because the system was built on racism right they don't care about the individual in that sense they care about the group and they care about the system yeah and Absolutely. so like so from yeah. the protesters end, like at evergreen i thought was that their thing like like when they say we want to end the white supremacist system like you know, what do they mean? Like, what is that system they want to end? It's not just white supremacy. They want to end the whole system. So if you want to lay out mm. that, because that's 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 a scary part to me. Like, the system they want to end is a system we should want to preserve. It's the, uh, her name's Hannah B. Jones, is that? Uh, Nicole Hannah Jones. Nicole Hannah Jones. Uh, that's a 1619 she, project, right? That's the one you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, so she evokes 400 years of oppression. And what happened in Olympia, just a during this last month was that the mayor of Olympia said that we came to this land and we stole and we've taken and taken and it's time for white people to give back. And when she was vandalized then by the protesters that she bowed to or with, which is the same, there's really not a lot of difference. There's a slight difference, but it's actually, it's actually bowing to. And when she was vandalized, she was threatened. She called them domestic terrorists. And she says uh, that I am embattled right now. I'm trying to fight three things, COVID-19, homelessness, and 400 years of oppression. So the problem that I see is that the individual is taken up in this universal narrative. And you, you call it systemic thinking, but it's this huge narrative. They're going to end 400 years of oppression, right? And 400 years is actually just completely arbitrary because <laughs> there's infinite years of oppression. Like, yeah. it's always been there. But they are swept up into this universalist way of thinking. I call it the progressive lens. And they cannot see the individual. They cannot see the moment now. And plus, the moment now is so engorged with um, necessity and urgency that they, they are incapable of acting humanely or with any sort of nuance. So what, uh, just to use my analogy about the progressive lens, the progressive lens is that there's a very good uh, knowledge of current oppression or the, the oppression that's now and then the past. And then there's a great uh, amount of view of this shiny utopia. And then there's this very narrow middle range where how do we tie the current state of oppression to the future state of liberation. And there's this excluded middle where progressivism, largely speaking, breaks down because they are trying to bite off more than they can chew. They are confronting an inhumanly sized problem with the incorrect tools, with all these academic tools, which don't stand up against mob violence, mob rule, and then just the, you know, just the ruffians as long as the ruffians are are acting towards that goal it doesn't matter what they're doing yeah but i mean like you know the 400 years of oppression but when you get right down to it again this is my read and maybe i'm completely off base here you know that's america was built you know america was founded 1619 built on slavery blah 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 revisionist history you know Mm. the one of pulitzer uh but they look back and they say, okay, science, you know, reason, logic, like these are white people's things. This is what whites use to oppress the whole world because this is what gave them power, right? It was technology. If you look at it, they were white, white Europeans were outnumbered across the world. If it wasn't for technology, they wouldn't have been able to do what they 
it's like they say that technology started with white Europeans. They forget the whole history of it. You know, they, they think the Enlightenment started with white Europeans. And, you know, that's, I guess, why they want to cancel the classics, because Greeks are white Europeans, apparently. Um, mm. So, the, like, that's, to me, that's the system they want to get rid of. They want to, you know, Audre Lorde's paper. What do you again. think they want to replace it with? I don't know. I, I, I've never heard an answer to that. It's, if you get rid of whiteness, you will get rid of the system. It's almost, I mean, it's the religious thing. It's the enlightenment was the serpent that came into the garden or, you know, it's the fruit of the tree of knowledge and white people were the serpent that got everyone to eat it and blah, 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 blah. I don't know, but it's, it's that connotation, right? So it's, let's get back to that noble savage state, I guess, where the oppression was innocent. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, but like, I, I done a thread on that on Twitter about white ways of knowing and how it's stupid and, you know. I took quotes from the uh, golden age of Islam. You can talk, there's a quote from Plato praising the Egyptians for mathematics and calling people in Greece, comparing people in Greece to people in Egypt and saying people in Greece were pigs because they didn't know mathematics. And there's this, someone sent me this article. It's, uh, it's about this guy in Ethiopia named Jacob and about a hundred years before, you know, Hume and Locke and all that sitting in a cave in Ethiopia because he, he ran away from the king because he insulted the king and insulted some Jesuits. He wrote down stuff that was very similar to Locke and Hume and Mill. And he, he was coming up with enlightenment ideas in a cave by himself in Ethiopia. And obviously he'd never read them because they hadn't been there. <laughs> and they're denying this guy. You know, they're denying, you know, zero and infinity coming from India than being utilized by the Arab. They're denying, you know, I hate the term the golden age, but they're denying like the thinkers, the Arab thinkers from there that were, you know, appreciated in Europe that led to the enlightenment. To me, it's an insult. Like, I mean, that science and reason and logic aren't for me because it's because of the color of my skin. You know, like there was that thing in um, Johannesburg in 2015 or 16, science must fall. <laughs> like, I don't know if you saw that. That was, that was, I quite didn't see that. Uh, yeah, it was a little conference. Uh, I, I'll send you the links because there's the the actual how are they going to get science to topple without a rudimentary understanding of physics oh, oh, but, but that's that's what they so they said that this it, you know same thing it's white it's white science it's western science it was put on us by the colonizers blah 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 and then it was the philosophy department against the science department it was a 2 hour long little thing and then i can that they have some after meetings i can send you those but they said like oh we don't need western science our shaman can call down lightning and when someone in the science department snickered, they were scolded and talked down to for snickering oh, about, yeah. okay, so, but they were saying that science is a white Western thing and it's not meant for Africans and Africans should find their own science. So African science, so calling down lightning on people from shamans. University of Johannesburg, I don't know how big a university is, whatever, but it's a university. That's yeah. got to scare people, you know, like the shutdown STEM a couple of weeks ago. You know, they're telling you what they want and no one's believing them. It's it's Which is what? What do they actually want? As far as I can tell, they want to get rid of the enlightenment. They want to get rid of science. They mm. want to get rid of any objective reason and they want to they want to rule by feeling and they want to rule by who's being more oppressed and the like they're they're giving currency to victimhood the more more of a victim you are the the more noble you are the noble thing about being a victim is getting over it you're know, succeeding despite of whatever was done to you right it's not just wallowing in that suffering um, yeah, it's difficult yeah. it'll tear you apart but i mean okay like i said maybe i'm completely wrong maybe I, uh, I i'm missing what they're saying but as far as i can tell they want to get rid of all that they want to get rid of the enterprise of the enlightenment and the enterprise of what got us to where we are now they say that these are white people's tools you know audra lord's paper again you know for the master's tools will never tear down the master's house yeah she says it. i mean like but these aren't the master's tools. these are the tools that were there for everyone to use to better themselves sorry like i said i ran but yeah i mean that, that's i mean unless i'm completely off base i don't know i mean that's that's what i see them wanting to destroy that's what i see them that's their end goal i don't know what they're going to build but that's their end goal so how do we stop it then like i said i think you expose it i think you just keep hitting at what it says when when they say anti-racism is this it's like no just quote d'angelo just quote you know hell okay black lives matter just lists off the schools that have asked for segregation where Black Lives Matter has asked for segregated dorm rooms and then show them the KKK is approving it. People might have pause to agree with the KKK. You know, in the name of inclusion, you're having 75 separate, like seg 75 colleges had segregated, dorm, uh, some form of segregated graduation, whether it was completely mm -hmm. segregated or it was they had a, you know, a joint graduation like normal, then you had a 
separate segregated ceremony only for students of color. Yeah. Which that in of itself is wrong. Like the day of absence at Evergreen. The initial idea was good. You know, we'll we'll leave to show you like based on that play, right? We'll leave to show you our worth. And it was like, no, 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 you are forced to leave because of the color of your skin. And people defending that that that's not racism. Like we're losing language, we're losing meaning, we're losing everything here. I don't know. I mean like I'm uh, well how would you want to stop it or how would you want to fight back against it? I think that the uh that that kernel of uh countering it and playing with it I I see certain forms of psychology that are in play with the adherence to this. I was called, my ideas were called filthy and, um, uh, which is really interesting and in that as a white man, I, I, I did a video a couple of days ago about just exploring my racism, just like, okay, they're, they're going to put me in a class mm-hmm. and they're going to call me a racist. So let me look at my own racism. And I talked about a period of my life where I had resentment toward a certain class of people or a certain race of people or a certain culture of people. And after like noticing that I was having those feelings, I examined my own self and saw that I was missing what that culture uh, prized, like the, the cultural values specifically of uh, Jewish. Jewish individuals or the Jewish culture prizes hard work and family. And I was being very lazy and I was very isolated. I was very depressed. And those two things were leading me to resent people who were creating things. And then I would see who was creating these things. I would see that they would be Jewish. Mm -hmm. And that, that started to resolve it by me owning my own, uh, my own resentment, my own feelings, and then getting back to work and all those, uh, all that resentment kind of uh, melts away when I engage with material. And somebody shared that video that I did with one of their friends and their friend uh, saw that I said at the beginning of that, that I'm going to do an experiment. And they said that that was my white privilege showing because this is not something that you play around with. This is a life or death situation. Thomas Jefferson said that all men are created equal and that has never been true. And this person was modeling this incredibly white and black behavior with a lot of uh, purity disgust uh, instincts running through it. A lot of the black people are pure and the white people are impure because the white people have privilege. Mm-hmm. And so they need to give up their privilege and be washed of the stain of their privilege. And you can see operative this religious way of knowing so you can critique it and understand it operating in groups of people as a cult or as a religion. But when once you see it that way, you have to understand that you cannot argue people out of this. This is pre-enlightenment ways of knowing. This is this is operating on a lower level of understanding that is really rooted in emotional uh, connectivity and urgency and all of these uh, other lower forms of understanding. And maybe that's my whiteness uh, shining through that I'm making a hierarchy in different ways of knowing. Um, but I think all those different ways of knowing are really important. And as an artist, I do want to connect with and elicit emotions and outrage and this stuff and articulate it with, you know, thoughts and, and uh, higher, more refined uh, ways of, you know, uh, dancing around and playing with things. But the very fact that I am not allowed to play Play with these ideas shows me that this uh, this understanding uh, or this way of knowing it shuts down critical thinking at every turn. It shuts down argumentation at every turn. Like uh, there was a post just today about somebody who lists all the different things that you're supposed to do as a white person, and they all contradict themselves. You have to speak, you have to be silent, you have to do this and do that at the same time. And I said, yeah, they are all contradicting one another if you line them up like that, but they are all unified and uh, harmonized by the end goal which is your obedience so once you start to understand it you can talk about it in a rational way but you cannot change somebody that's going down that path you cannot you can't enlighten somebody who is seen seeing the enlightenment as the devil yeah okay but i will push back a little bit against that because i've used the analogy of ex-muslims with people especially with ex-muslims i've spoken to about this because i'll i okay right after george floyd i just started oh the the ex-muslims have to talk about the racism in the muslim communities i'm like yeah but we have we have been doing that for a while you know like some Mm -hmm. of you might be younger and yeah fine i'm not a big person whatever but i've been doing it since you know 2014 when i got back to North America from overseas. You know, Majid Nawaz has been doing it since right after 9-11. Ayan Hirsi Ali. You know, she had a death threat in her best friend, like, you know, attached to a knife in her best friend's chest, for Christ's sake. These people have been doing it, and they got called, Majid Nawaz got called a house Muslim. You know, these people get called uh, Uncle Toms, race traders. Uh, in the in the UK, they've been called, like, coconuts and bounties. You know, like the bounty chocolate bar, like, chocolate on the outside, hmm. white on the inside. Uh, oh, Sarah, okay. yeah, Sarah Hader has been called uh, a native informant. Like, just some of the most horrific stuff by people who are anti-racist. Yeah. And then I 
I point out, so they get that. They understand like, okay, there's a problem with the way media treats Islam, blah, blah, blah. So then I say, okay, well, look at you know, people like, and you can run the gamut from people like John McWhorter, who's reasonable, makes a lot of sense to the crazy that is Candace Owens, but mm. they still get the same attacks. Like, you know, you're an Uncle Tom, you're a race trader, you know, you're a house slave and they don't use the word slave you know like you know like just Hmm. can't you see the parallels right uh one of my friends she's an ex-muslim when she speaks out against islam you get muslim men saying the most vile disgusting things to her yo you just want to you know fuck kufar like you know the the, uh, unbelievers uh you're a filthy whore you're just like so she's putting out some stuff and she's like you know i support the statement black lives matter because yes, yes, black lives do matter, but I, I can't support the, the organization because of this, 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 and this, right? And she's listing off certain things that are valid, but she's like, you know, I support the, the push for police reform. I support, you know, the sentiment behind black lives matter. Some anti-racist said, yeah, you're just doing this to get white dick. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the exact same mentality, right? But I'm going to push back against you because people have been talked out of Islam, whether they were born into it or they con- converted. People have been mm-hmm. talked out of Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Orthodox Judaism, Hasidic Judaism, fundamentalist Christianity, evangelical Christianity. It, it, it can be done. There is a way to do it. But yeah. the way to do it is to, is to show, I mean, okay, like I used a little quote from uh, Ned Flanders because it was so funny. He's like, you know, I think it was when his house got burnt down or whatever. He's like, oh, dear Lord, why are you punishing me? I've done everything in the Bible, even the things that contradict each other, right? Like, <laughs> and it's, it's exactly that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I try to use things like that. Like, uh, you know, this, this thing that came out, there was a meeting, uh, a Zoom meeting on Friday last week, and I just saw it on Twitter. It was uh, uh, brown complicity and whiteness, and watch out for your brown fragility and your brown privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It won't stop. <laughs> yeah, I know. It doesn't it's, stop. It's a very puritanical religion. Oh, yeah. But, so, yeah. So, I... You know, like I, I will push back to you when you say you can't reason people out of something they didn't reason themselves into. Because at one, mm. if you're learning this in college, you didn't know this before, so you are kind of reasoning your way into it. It's bad reasoning. It's bad thinking. The way I mm. also kind of equate it is, I say we have to change the way we think about our first principles. Like we need those first principles. You need a set of organizing principles on how you want to build your society, your life, or whatever. And I've mm-hmm. said the things like, you know, free speech is the foundation of all our other rights, blah, blah, blah. And I said, we got to stop doing that. We can't think of enlightenment principles. Like, first principles that come out of enlightenment thinking as a foundation. Foundations are rigid and hard. That's what the church is built on. And so if you think of it as a foundation, so if you think of free speech as a foundation of all your rights, let's just say. So 1A comes along. 1A is the support beam that comes up, right? So when you're just thinking about 1A as free speech, so the First Amendment's free speech, and you're just looking at that support beam, you've forgotten the foundation of the foundation starts to crack and get rotten you won't notice it if you think of your first principles as the earth in a garden and so it's fragile but it can sustain a lot of life you have to maintain it all the time you have to be aware of it you can do little experiments where you can oh you want to try this we can try this in a corner of the garden we can try to like isolate it see what it does oh no that's a weed get rid of it so i think we need to change the way we think so if you're so if you're speaking to someone who's going down this road instead of just telling them like the richard dawkins approach to religion oh you're wrong you're stupid don't do it right i think that's wrong But if you show them where their thinking is wrong and how a better way of thinking, I think you'll get people to leave it behind. And I I, I just like, especially like I said, I I look at ex-Muslims that are going down this road and they're, you know, they're in school, they're learning this stuff and they're taking on, they've already had one rigid way of thinking. Now they're taking on another. Because it's yeah. just easy to go from it's it's a comfort it's it's very familiar right there's things you hate there's things you love there's there's good and evil you know it's yeah. it's very clear cut yeah and so yeah. Th- that's my way of going about the religious aspect of it I am maybe again maybe I'm hmm. completely off base I don't know I think that I you know what I I do agree with you I just I do think that there has to be some sort of experiential uh, wake up call that uh, needs to happen and and a zealous believer will not let go of their beliefs until they find incontrovertible proof or that cognitive dissonance grows too great that they have some sort of crisis. So they either see something happen that is out of line of their values or they do something that's out of line of their values or their values kind of just collapse upon themselves. Um, Maybe uh, not everybody's like that for sure. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's like that for sure. This way of thinking, however, strains those people out and silences those people by introducing so much contradiction and so many rules on their behavior and their thoughts. So, Oh yeah, no, this stuff is coming at people quickly. Like I, right after George Floyd got killed, I'm seeing friends of mine who are roughly the same age as me, who I know aren't in school. You know, some of these people are trades people. Some of them, you know, they're like engineers and logistics, you know, they do work in logistics and stuff. None of them work in any of these fields. 
all of a sudden they're ta- they're asking their friends why are you being so fragile they're they're promising to be anti-racist so it's a lot of people just not knowing what it is when it becomes part of the the culture like that like when it's in the air i think we have to there's no one way to do it and i don't think any, there's any one person who's correct but we're yeah. it's going to need a lot of different ways to do it like you know the way jim and um helen are doing i think is great especially like what jim's doing with new discourses just laying everything out mm-hmm. but you need some people to speak into like you know I can do my best speaking to one person at a time because I don't have a huge reach and I, I, I don't want one. I don't care about that. But if I speak to one person at a time and just say, look, read these books, look at this, how this is asking you to think. And I'm not asking anyone to take my word for it. I'll just give them like, here's a list of the books I've read and you know, just read them. If you agree with them, then we can argue about the agreement. But right now you don't know what you're talking about. You know, like, and maybe mm. I sound arrogant, but that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. It, I tell people, people ask me, well, what should I do? I'm, this is coming for me. I kind of say, yeah, well, don't bite off more than you can chew and mm. find like-minded individuals, uh, get a support network going. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't try to take on more than you can handle. Do a little bits here and there. Yeah. And I mean, I've telling my friends who like, you know, again, my friends, my age, they've got, they're starting to get grandkids now. Okay, go to the PTA meetings, like where your grandkids are going to school. Like you know, obviously not the babies, but the ones who are starting kindergarten stuff. I said, you yeah. know, I show them, I show them like I show them the math curriculum from Seattle, the the the, the, the racially equitable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I show them that stuff. I show them the meeting from New York City where the guy is telling the school board that you know being on time is acting white and they should tell their kids that they don't need to be on time. Like they're horrified mm-hmm. by stuff like that. So I'm like, go to your PTA meetings. Just, yeah. You know, it it doesn't take a lot of people. You know, you get like five of your friends to show up and the two people who want to push this stuff will be voted out. <laughs> you know, like that's mm, all it yeah, takes, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. 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 Evil, ev- the only, the only way to stop evil is to show up to countless endless mind numbing me- meetings oh, or something God, like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's, <laughs> but okay, but that's what it is. It's, it's, you're, you're going to be bored to death and you're going to hear a lot of stupid things. I mean, okay. Like, yo, I, I, I think this is a mixture of colonial theory and critical race theory. But and it's it's it just scares the hell out of me. The slaves that were brought over to America because their labor helped the colonizers and the oppressors. They are complicit in the genocide of the Native Americans. Oh, okay, that's how the Native Americans get up on the hierarchy. Then, yeah. But oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Cool. But, but I mean, who does, who's that helping? Like uh, the indigenous. <laughs> how? Like, but like this stuff creates division. Like, okay, what? America is what about roughly sixty percent white, fifty five, sixty something like that. I'm not um, sure. Yeah, probably. I, I'm not really sure. Okay, I think seventy, but it's going down. Yeah. Okay, whatever. let's say sixty five, right? If you think your problem is whiteness and white supremacy and whatever, sixty five percent of the population is white. Why do you want to cause wedges in that other thirty five percent? Wouldn't you want to find something that would unify them together? Yeah, that's my one of my biggest things against this is. It, it, it makes no sense even in what it's trying to do. You know, like There's also like a holographic belief system where as soon as you stand up for this one part of the intersectional rubric, then you automatically accept everything else. So the the indigenous person signs onto this and then suddenly has to accept everything about transgender ideology and queer theory, mm-hmm. right? So you have to take the whole thing and you don't really understand that. But in in reality, that's how it shakes out. You just have to basically, in in the fight to preserve your culture, you're actually through the process of intersectionality, kind of just like opening it up for it to be completely demolished by this unified uh, destructive force. It's kind of this cancer that that just replicates it its own self and and gobbles up every form yeah. of difference. Yeah, well, I I equate it to like the the strangler fig of ideologies. You know, like you know what a strangler fig mm-hmm. is, right? It, it, mm. So it's a tree. You can mainly find it in South and Southeast Asia, and it okay. grows around another tree. So it'll drop its roots, and everything will come down. The roots will go into the ground, and then it'll start mm. enveloping the tree that it's growing on and living off of it. Yeah. So, so that's what this stuff is. It comes in it and envelops it, eats all the health yeah. out of it, and yeah. it's taken over, and you no longer have the tree that was there before. And it's, but yeah, it's. Like I, like I said, I just I just want people to know what it is. I think it's a if it, like it's coming into schools and that scares me. It's I, I look back. I've, I've said this over and over again. I look back to the eighties, late eighties and the nineties when you had the Crips and the Bloods, and then you started getting the white supremacist gangs come up again to counter the Crips and the Bloods. Right? They go after the marginalized. They go after 
the the disenfranchised. They go after the kids who feel that they're aggrieved. You're teaching this to K through 12. You've got a generation that's going to think that that person fucked me over or I've been fucked over by them or, you know, I like white kids who feel like really sad that they've oppressed people um, or whatever. And like you, so you're going to have a smorgasbord for extremists. Like, you know, ISIS is going to come along, pick up whoever they want, you know, KKK, Black Panthers, whatever. Like people can come along and pick up whoever they want and they're just, and we're creating that. A grooming ground for extremism. What about, but, but isn't that what it is though? Like, like I had a friend of mine, he, his kids are in uh, New York city. He wrote in medium. They're half Asian. He wrote in medium, like I think last year about how they came home one day saying they wishing they weren't half white and they were embarrassed about that. Mm. That's mm. not healthy. Mm. There was an article mm. recently in the New York post about some elite private school where the parents were thinking about suing the school because they were teaching their white kids to hate themselves. That's that is a grooming gang for extremism. Like that is a grooming, yeah. you know, that, that's an incubator for extremism. I don't know what else you want to call it. But um, you'd mentioned like being an artist. How does this affect art? Like how are you going to create art like this? <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, what can you create at this point, right? It's it's like that Charlie Hebdo. Uh, right after the the shootings, they did a uh, they put out an edition, and they said this edition won't uh, uh, this edition won't offend anyone. It was all blank. It was all a bunch of blank, blank pages. And that's that's basically yeah. where you're at. Yeah, it's it's totally infected uh, fine art, so called, in the museums as well. Oh, but I mean, I, I saw that. What was it? There's a museum in the UK. They covered up some nudes, and they said, "Oh, we just wanted to have a conversation." Uh, you know, was it last year? Gauguin and uh, Gauguin was problematic. Mm-hmm. So was uh, Renoir. Like, you know, they want these things gone. They want everything gone yeah yeah um, the top on the statues that's a yeah. and then some of them are stupid like the one the lincoln one you know the the the, the, the one in the lincoln memorial yeah. not the lincoln memorial but yeah. the one in lincoln park like the the emancipation uh memorial yeah i think that the from what i understand there was a slave that was standing up but they were still in a crouched position and so that's read as the slave kneeling and bowing and that's why yeah. they need to take it down it was also funded by uh emancipated slaves yeah it was well. funded by emancipated slaves but i mean i, I can give you like I, I was speaking to uh i don't know if you know jay shapiro yeah i was speaking to him yesterday and i gave him a critical race theory version of why it was wrong for the slaves to have funded it and my take on it was, again, I mean, I'm not reading theory right enough, but it was because the slaves had internalized all the whiteness and the white supremacy, they were mm-hmm. still trying to show their, their white masters that they, you know, that the mas- the whites were still the masters and they were still trying to gain, gain their approval. So they cl- yeah. collected the money for the statue to honor the whites that set them free. And so that's why the statue is bad because it still, you know, perpetuates what, I, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm reading theory wrong, but maybe you have a better, <laughs> t- maybe I got it right or I don't know. Well, you can't be wrong as long as you're going towards justice. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. And the work is never done, right? No, it's not. Uh, it's uh, the uh, Achilles and the tortoise. Like mm-hmm. you, you, there's always you can only get half rid of half uh, of the oppression at any given time. So mm-hmm. there's always more oppression to get rid of yeah. or privilege. Uh, what happens at Evergreen now? Well, they are slowly folding in upon themselves. They uh, have some very troubling financial situation because of the extreme drop in enrollment, and they were relying more and more upon the state legislature to float them, and now that money is probably not going to be there due to the uh, economic impact of something that doesn't have much of anything to do with the current racial discourse. Yeah, well, yeah. unless you look at epidemiologists who say that COVID's a or racism is a worse virus than COVID. So, yeah, <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it's crazy. So like, again, it's getting back to the theory. If Evergreen had succeeded, they're going to say, see, everyone thought they were white supremacists. We did the right thing. Now it's like, oh, well, see, we're right. They're white supremacists. They didn't want us to succeed. Now we're failing. I mean, like, it's like everything with yeah. this stuff, right? It, there's a, it's like, again, it's the Kobayashi Maru of, uh, of mm. ideologies. It's no win. Like, you know, if, white families leave a neighborhood it's white flight if they move in it's yeah. gentrification you know, if you, yeah yeah if you won't date a race it's it's uh it's racism if you do rate a date uh, if you do want to rate uh date a specific race it's uh you know it's it's fetishizing and that's also racism <laughs> yeah 
like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 worried about the way that it's being rolled out across every institution, co- uh, corporate and oh. education and municipalities. But at the same time, I have hope that it is so ridiculous that it you know the, the emperor can only be so show his butt to so many people before somebody starts giggling and then the rest of the crowd will. Yeah, hopefully. But I mean, okay, there was yourself. There was Brett Weinstein. Uh, like I said, uh, Peter Bogosian, uh, Jim and Helen. And then, I mean, there's a whole slew of, you know, John McWhorter has been saying for a couple of years, people like Coleman Hughes and, you know, Thomas Chatterton and Wallace, they've been saying, uh, Williams have been saying it for a few years now too. Like how many people does it take that like, like what's the critical mass of people that's going to take to show that, how crazy this stuff is. Hmm. Well, it doesn't matter how many people are speaking out. It matters how many people aren't, uh, aren't following along with this stuff. So I think that, um, there's different ways to prove that it's not good for your business to start to segregate based on race and to diminish certain employees and raise up certain employees based on immutable characteristics. I think that there's arguments to, uh, put in different types of diversity training if you want to go that route. And unfortunately, the anti-racists have uh, think tanked this stuff to a perfect little degree of pamphlets and courses oh. and workshops and trainers. So they are in the advantage right now. They're, they're uh, just kind of taking over the world right now. So oh, yeah. there needs to be a lot of effort uh, put into glossy magazines and really easy five steps of becoming a not anti-racist, but just a not racist kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, I, I wish we could clone someone like Chloe Valdery and have mm. her doing uh, you know, diversity yeah. trainings or whatever, because I mean, that's the kind of message you need in these trainings. Like, you, you, yeah, you know, for like, sure. For you know, sure. And you know, it's whatever something with a little bit of love. Like, I mean, that's the one thing I, I there is no humanity to this stuff. Like I went to a, a friend of mine. She was doing a performance art piece in Montreal. She said, do you want to come? Said, okay, I'll go support her. At the end of it, there was a Q and a, um, so part of it was a bunch of pictures she put up and the other part was a performance part. Now, I made a comment about the pictures because she'd done like a picture of herself or pictures of herself over the course of a year. So there's one wall with just pictures of herself in, you know, happy, sad, angry, whatever, all over the course of a year. I made a comment about that. And then every other person was talking about a performance piece and you could see the critical method, right? So it was a 20, 25 minute piece, two seconds here. Oh, in this 30 seconds, you talked about this. What did you mean? Like they just, they just completely demolish everything and they tear it down to its bare essentials. And it's no longer mm. art. It's it, it's no longer what it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. A lot of, a lot is lost in that particular translation mm. for sure. Look, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're probably speaking to a ton of people, so I'll give you the last word. If you got anything you want to say, where where can people find you? Uh, if you got, yeah, uh, I guess thanks for having me on, Obed. Uh, I I am on YouTube and on Twitter at Benjamin A Boyce. That's basically my handle across platforms. I'm trying out Parlor, but I don't really understand how to get it onto all of my different devices. So I'm messing around with that. That's a new technology. I'm also on ThinkSpot. ThinkSpot probably is Benjamin Boyce, and uh, also on uh, what's that? A BitChute, BitChute, uh, the off-brand YouTube kind of thing. I'm on there too. I try to keep a widespread of outlets. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And like I said, I was just trying to compare what happened at Evergreen to you know, my rantings about what's going on outside. Yeah. You got to stay sharp. There's uh, there's examples that abound and there's a lot of work to be done right now in combating this stuff and giving people alternatives. Well, you know, looking forward to the rest of your uh, videos on Evergreen and you know, your stuff on Twitter, your, your poems every now and then. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone, for listening.